It's time once again for the Go-Giver Podcast, where we explore five timeless principles that will increase the profitability of your business and the joy in your life. Now, here's your host, the co-author of The Go-Giver, Bob Berg. Hello again, I'm Bob Berg, and we have what I hope you'll find to be an interesting and value-packed show today. Our brand is not what we'd like the marketplace to think of us and say about us. It's what they do think and say about us. We'll look at that in our thought of the day. And in our interview segment, branding authority Allison Stratton shares with us the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to businesses and their branding. That and more on today's show. I thank you for joining us. I remember the first time I ever saw it and the utter disgust I felt when witnessing a cow being branded. As a young television reporter at a small market ABC affiliate, I don't even recall what the story was about. But among the videos shot by my camera guy was a bunch of cows in a row being branded. The burning mark was placed upon them and there were, at times, actually flames shooting up as a result. And cows, being sentient, feeling beings, cried out as they experienced the physical pain of being branded. The brand, of course, is the rancher's way of proving ownership so that no one can steal his or her property. Another type of branding, what most of us are more familiar with, is the business type of branding, where a company, whether large, medium, or even very small, attempts to create a brand, a way in which they relate to their consuming public as the consuming public relates to them. Of course, unlike the poor cattle just mentioned, no business owns their marketplace or the individual consumers within that market. You may currently have a large market share, but you don't own them. Unlike the cows, your customers can leave whenever they're disappointed in your brand. And if the experience is in any way painful for them, they're out of there. Getting their business back is often much more difficult than acquiring it was in the first place which tells us that we must constantly work at being a brand worthy of being chosen over our worthy competitors in the marketplace. One way of being brand worthy is by focusing on what they, the consumer, wants, needs, and desires in doing business with us. After all, your brand has little to do with how you want your customers to feel about your company and everything to do with how they actually feel about it. Allison Stratton and her husband and partner Scott Stratton study brands and branding and in their newest book titled Unbranding provide us with insights into what today's brands are doing right, what they're doing wrong, and how we can learn from all of them in creating and sustaining our brands. Back with Allison Stratton with wisdom from her terrific new book right after this. Let me ask you, Would you like to become objection-proof? Would you like to close sales gentler, easier, and more effectively than ever before? Would you like to never again have to discount your prices? Would you like to learn the one thing that motivates every human being to action and the only reason why people ultimately buy? Do you want to more effectively than ever before communicate the exceptional value that you provide to your customers and clients? If you answered yes to these questions, then what you want is to learn how to sell the go-giver way. If you'd like to dramatically increase your ability to influence and sell, then check out my one-hour audio program, Selling the Go-Giver Way. For more information, click the link in the show notes. 
Allison Stratton is writer and co-creator of content at Unmarketing, a company known for its entertaining yet always very on-target way of teaching their followers and clients how to more effectively market and position themselves and their businesses. She's also co-host with her husband, Scott, of the Unpodcast, which they call the business show for the fed up. Prior to Unmarketing, she developed and ran an international maternity lingerie company called Nummies. Allison is unapologetically in love with the internet, and much of her and Scott's work have an internet theme while certainly being applicable to businesses both online and off. She writes and speaks about marketing, consumer advocacy, social media, business, and parenting. They have a blended family of five human children and four animal children. Allison is the co-author of five best-selling books, all with the un theme, including Unselling, Unmarketing, the book of business awesome, unawesome, and more. Their books are fantastic. The current one, and the one we'll be discussing today, is Unbranding, 100 Branding Lessons for the Age of Disruption. Her main website is unmarketing.com, where you can also find information on her book, Unbranding. You can check out her Unpodcast at unpodcast.com, and of course, those links will be in the show notes. Hi, Allison. Hi, Bob. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Loved, loved your book. Um, Thank you. The subtitle of Unbranding is 100 Branding Lessons for the Age of Disruption. So first things first, how do you define branding? Well, we define branding as looking at it from the consumer advocacy point of view. So rather than thinking your brand is what you're pushing out, what you say it is, your brand is actually what your market experiences when they see your logo or your company name. And brand comes down to two things. It's going to be the most recent experience they've had with your brand and the most extreme experience they've had with your brand. And those two things combined together, and that's what branding is all about. Oh, got it. Now, so let's go to the other part of that, disruption. Uh, I'd like you to define disruption if you don't mind. In other words, what exactly is being disrupted? Well, what we're finding is, and this isn't a new thing, we can look at the term disruption as an older business term talking about any kind of new innovations coming about. So, you know, the innovation of the automobile was disruption. Mm-hmm. The innovation of the internet was disruption. These are all, but what has happened is that it seems as though, or it feels as though, Uh, We're living in this time where there's new innovations every day almost. We're constantly being shown these kind of bright, flashy objects of a new platform, a Mm -hmm. new tool you have to be using, virtual reality, augmented reality, all these things. And so it can feel really busy and really difficult to focus, not only in life, but in in business (laughs) as well, Mm -hmm. on what should you do next. And so we're looking at these two things. How do you kind of protect your brand during this time we're living in and operating in where we're constantly being faced with a new technology that seems to change business. And we have all these companies around us that didn't, the technology for them didn't exist, you know, five, 10 years ago. Right. So, and I think that's making it harder for people in business to decide where they should take their business next mm-hmm. and what they should focus on. So a theme I took out of your book uh, early and often is loyalty. That seems to be the biggie. And much of that kind of based on the ability of a company to, one, earn the trust of its customers and potential customers, and two, kind of not blow that trust by doing something, we'll say, uh, bad. 
<laughs> Correct or not? Yeah. Well, what we found was, so we started looking at uh, all of these brand studies, right? Looking at different companies. We did interviews and also just research and brands and companies and our own personal experiences mm-hmm. and saw that, so who are these companies that are managing innovation and disruptive times well? What do they have? Like, how does, who are these companies? What are they doing? And what we found was that companies that were able to succeed during times where there's a lot of change and a lot of innovation had this sort of loyalty, almost like a bubble, like a security blanket, that their customers were very loyal to them. And so they didn't have to be, they weren't as open to change, as open to the the issues that can arise in an innovative time. And so we wanted to find out what's loyalty, how did they create this loyalty for their customers? And we found, we broke it down into four factors and, and really found that that is the sort of, you know, the, the protection that's really what cust- what businesses should be focusing on. Rather than focusing on jumping to the next technology and trying to seem innovative, they should really be focusing on kind of the good tenant of creating loyal customers. Okay. And doing this, there are four, I guess, aspects? Yeah, we found that we broke it down into four aspects. So we looked at cost. And when we say cost, what we really mean is value. So do people feel like their money is being well spent? And do people feel that, and it isn't about lowering your cost as low as possible. We actually right. found some of right. the most successful companies were actually like the most expensive in their in their industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we looked at comfort, which is a, a basic need of just that they, your market has a need and are you meeting that need? So sometimes in business, we make decisions based on you know, whatever's cool, whatever's new, whatever we want to appear a certain way. And we think that's branding. We want to seem like the cool company. But what really is good branding is focusing on those needs of our customers. So asking ourselves why, like, why are we going to add this new technology? Why are we focusing a lot of attention on a new tool when really we should be focusing on the only why we should have is because our customers want it or because our market needs it. Uh, The other one we looked at was convenience. And this is, I mean, never has been more important than today. We have so many options right right now. We just have so much information flying at us, so many options, so much information. And so have, as a business owner, how many times have you tried to be your own customer? Have you, have you, do you really know how easy or difficult it is to purchase from you, to use Mm -hmm. your services? Because in a world where you can have 20, 25 to 100 other choices at your fingertips, you need to be the most convenient. And that's so important because time, just like valuing money, we need to value people's time as well. And the last was convergence, which is really something that's come about in our kind of social media age where we have access to so much information about companies, about their practices, their hiring, how they treat their employees, how they treat their customers, you know, viewpoints, political, et cetera, from CEOs and, ev- and down to every single worker in the company. And so people want to feel as though their values align and converge with the companies that they're working with. Mm-hmm. So what we found was companies that had truly established loyalty were focusing on these four things, the cost, comfort, convenience, and convergence. Okay, now you, you took those and put them into 100 different lessons. And, and as you and Scott always write and speak and so forth, always very entertaining. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just so fun to read. And always great surprises in there too. Uh, we're going to go through a few of the, the lessons. Okay. Les- lesson one was titled Logos Don't Matter, which I, I love the title. Uh, now you speak to how in a sense, uh, well, again, the brand, not in a sense, but the brand is the feeling that comes to the customer's mind, the consumer's mind. And you look at two very well-known brands that for many people elicit two polar opposite feelings. They were Apple and Volkswagen. 
what? Yeah, so we just we're, we use them as examples just because you, you they're so well known. So we you know we talk about this idea of like you know to picture the apple and and what do you think of like when you see that logo, what do you think of? Mm-hmm. And we use logos because they are kind of the what generally what people think of when they think of branding are logos and typefaces and these kinds of things, right? Push messaging from companies out to the market. And we wanted to switch that around. So we said, okay, so think about your Apple logo. Now think about two experiences, your most extreme, Mm -hmm. which for me was when I dropped my phone off a balcony in Animal Kingdom into the Animal Reserve and Apple replaced it for me. So that was my most extreme experience. Mm -hmm. And my most recent, which is usually, you know, that I'm typing something actually on my phone or that I had written the book on a on an Apple product. So and that is really what the Apple is about. If they switch that Apple around, if the bite came out of the other side, if it was a slightly different color, I wouldn't notice that. Thank you. Exactly. Yes. And so when you're thinking about branding from the company point of view, you want to be thinking about those stories, creating those experiences, because that's truly what your brand is. And that's how you can control how people see your company. For Volkswagen, we said the same thing, but in a negative space, right? We said, so this is an internationally well-known brand logo. And it wouldn't doesn't change when I think about Volkswagen and like environmental abuses Mm -hmm. and and these things if they change the color of their logo or they do a rebrand I'm making air quotes with my hands (laughs) rebrand and change every color and everything about that logo I likely wouldn't notice I would still see it and I would when I thought Volkswagen I would still think about that situation so when we talk about rebranding we want to really talk about fixing problems and and making our company better. We love giving companies second chances. We want to be able to say some, everything, things happen to all companies, bad things, good things. You can't avoid that spotlight being on you because of a mistake being made. What you can avoid is how you handle the mistake. And so rebranding should really about changing, about changing practices as opposed to, you know, font switching or whatever you're going to do. Right. You can't redesign a logo, I think you said, to fix your problems. And you exactly. should try because it's not yeah. going to work. And Volkswagen used to have such a great re- reputation. And now that's exactly what you think of them when you, you yeah. know. So, when you, and it, and it, some people will do a rebrand. There are times when a rebrand makes sense. But then it can't only be about the color. It can't mm-hmm. only be about the logo. It's an oversimplistic idea to share what we really think people should be focusing on, which is the practices in creating great brand stories for people to share. Okay, now, something very uplifting. This was lesson six, pizza saves lives. Again, I have to say I love the title because I love pizza, but, but that but that wasn't <laughs> why, though. It, begin with a, it began with, a first of all, a great teaching that becoming a habit is the ultimate goal in building customer loyalty, absolutely. But tell us what happened from there. So we talk about habit a lot because we think that, that to us, we see that as kind of the ultimate, right? Because then customers are using your products without even thinking about it. Like it's the pizza place you always order from. It's the, you know, company you always buy your clothes from, things like that. Because then there's, the competition has no room to get in there when you've become kind of the always choice, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. We, we looked at a story um, about a customer who was so loyal to the pizza company that he always ordered from them. It was a Domino's pizza. I believe it was in Oregon. And the customer always ordered, regular customer. And so the the staff got to know him, right? Like they know on Tuesday, you know, Bob's going to call and he's going to order his, you know, pepperoni pizza. And what happened was that they didn't get an order one week. And so, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, well, you know, not a big deal. We'll just forget about it. But because they had this connection with the customer, because of the loyalty experience, 
they were concerned about him and they actually went and checked on him and it turned out that he had had a stroke or a heart attack, I believe, and they they saved his life. You know, so that is, we we might all see that as an extreme example, but when you think about frontline particularly and loyalty, a lot of the time frontline workers are hired kind of without a second thought. You know, they just a warm body. We need people there. But those are the people who are your biggest brand ambassadors. Those are the people who yes. are frontline talking to people every single day. And hiring is really the most important branding department in your company because every single person you bring on board represents you to your market. Mm-hmm. And so this these workers who cared enough to find out that their regular customer was okay, they saved somebody's life and and we loved it. We loved the story. And we hope that although we don't expect every frontline worker to be constantly on the lookout, you know, to save people's right. lives, it's the caring, right? It's just treating people mm-hmm. with respect and care. And that trickles down. If employees are treated well, they'll treat customers well. If you spend quality time hiring, you're going to get good people in positions that will represent your company. Wonderful lesson. Now, I want to move on to lesson 20 and talk about trying almost too hard to reach out to a market you want to target to the point, Allison, that can actually become insulting. I, I, I don't even mean to laugh at this, but this was so funny how you and uh, how you and Scott framed this. First, it was a, a great example in the book about a car dealer trying to market a, now get this, a car for women, or as you and Scott yeah. called it, a car. I know. So, I didn't know I needed yeah, a car. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even know. So I guess. <laughs> So yeah, you guys just did such a great job with that. Is this so? Is this serious? Is it now a thing where there's some sort of overreaching in this regard, and it actually becomes uh, offensive rather than than effective? And unless we think, unless we think, I should say, by the way, that this car for women thing was just a matter of it being some type of mansplaining, as they say, it was actually no. branded in part with Cosmopolitan magazine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have, I like brands thinking outside Mm -hmm. of the box in terms of who their customer is. So I like that. What I don't like is using is gendered marketing. And that's my experience as a, as the research that we've done and talking to other people. And also as a woman myself, I just, it offends me because I feel like it's too simplistic. What we should be looking at is what are the needs of our customers? And it's true. Uh, Some, mm -hmm. some, of our customers may be smaller, some may be bigger, some may, you know, have smaller, like we looked at, there's one example in the story of a, a earplug that is branded to women. And it is exactly like every other earplug except it's pink. Oh. So what I say to that is that it's completely ridiculous, right? right? Now, should you have different sizes of earplugs? Sure. Should you have them available in different areas of your store? Sure. But the color of the earplug does not make it a product for women. And so there's this oversimplification that's insulting. And we also see it to men, right? You see cold medicine commercials for men where the man doesn't know what to do with himself. He doesn't know how to cook a meal, doesn't know how to take care of kids, doesn't (laughs) know how to, you know, and it's insulting to everyone. You know, we should be using, we should be much, we should take much more time to find out the needs of the customer and then focus your marketing on meeting those needs, mm-hmm. whether they be, you know, a, a certain hole in the market for a product or a service rather than the oversimplified thing, which is just, you know, pink wash things and and say that they're for women and then, you know, make a 
black rusty rusty version of of something like we saw brogurt once where it was just like a bigger container of yogurt and they'd kind of colored the the packaging was like dark gray and kind of doodly and that was brogurt for the for the bros you know and so i just think it's, we should do better. Yeah. You know, yeah, so that, I, I, I hear you. And, and again, <laughs> you, know? you guys, I, and I just loved how you've explained. And there's so many more things. And I, I wish so I could late. get to so many more lessons, but I'm, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, you're right. But we're, let's get to one more. I thought this was just, again, this was, uh, this was lesson 82 titled for the love of animals and the hatred of animal hair. And it was again, <laughs> two different examples, one of incongruence in branding and one congruence. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty sure these ones came out of our Facebook group. So we have a great Facebook group for on marketing, and we had asked um, some of our members to share stories with us about brands that something had changed for them. So mm-hmm. this idea that you're very loyal to someone, and then all of a sudden something happens, whatever X is, and then mm-hmm. you change your mind. And so one of the stories that had come out was I think it was Dove and St. Ives that had been, yes. you know, cruelty free and 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 all this kind of stuff. And so people were using their beauty products and cosmetics because they loved animals. And so they wanted to use a cosmetic product that didn't test on animals. So there's a, a congruency example there. And what happened is they were acquired by a larger company and they changed that. They that larger company does test their products on animals. And so they were really upset because here they made this commitment. They become loyal to a brand because of convergence. And then information comes out that shows that that those values, they're not converging anymore. Mm-hmm. And if that value is important enough to you, which it was to these these particular people in terms of loving animals and not wanting them to be tested on, then that's enough to break that relationship. And I think on the other hand, it was Bissell and Mm -hmm. it was, you know, a great product. They really liked it. If you have animals like we do, you know that hair is a constant, like (laughs) hair is my lethal enemy. (laughs) And so I'm constantly looking for good products. And then to find out that Bissell then also supports animal shelters and other, you know, animal positive uh, charities, then that just kind of grew their love of the brand. So you can see how it's complicated, right? It's not one thing. So it isn't like, you know, if Bissell was a terrible product, they wouldn't become mm-hmm. loyal to them mm-hmm. just because they were kind to animals. Right, but, right. But, but when you bring together the quality of the product and the convergence of the values, then you have a very loyal customer. Yeah, and their commercials were good and they showed a, a real understanding of their market. And that was so yeah. inspiring to see. Sometimes rather it, than just dying at pink, right? Right. So well, I was just going to say sometimes it ain't lame. It's really good. Yeah. And and you yeah. guys did a, a great job in in the, the book of really pointing out the good, the bad, and the ugly. But really, you do such a wonderful job in everything you and Scott do. It's always entertaining yeah. and on point, and just you feel like you just want to give you guys a hug. So <laughs> thank you, <laughs> Allison Stratton is co-host of the Unpodcast, which you can tune into at unpodcast.com, as well as co-author of five best-selling books, latest one being Unbranding, 100 Branding Lessons for the Age of Disruption. Her main website is unmarketing.com, where you can learn more about her book. Links are in the show notes. Allison, many thanks. Please send my regards to Sir Scott and your entire family. I will. Thank you so much. Main takeaway I received from Allison is that a major aspect regarding effectiveness of your brand is about the loyalty you've earned. And acting congruently with your brand is a fantastic way to ensure that happening. Are you continually keeping that in mind when you consider your brand? Please feel free to write to me at bob at berg.com and let me know. 
We might even share your email on an upcoming program. Remember, The Go-Giver makes an excellent gift to those in your life in order to help them lead better, sell more, and touch the lives of more people in positive and significant ways. Visit thegogiver.com and check out the expanded edition of the book. And while you're there, check out John David Manns and my follow-up parable, The Go-Giver Leader. And the newest parable in the Go-Giver series, The Go-Giver Influencer, will be released on April 10th. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and provide a review on iTunes. Visit thegogiver.com slash reviews. I enjoy reading every review, and your review will also help others to much more easily find this show. That's all for today. The Go-Giver podcast is brought to you by thegogiver.com. Visit www.thegogiver.com and get our free special report, The Go-Giver Way, Five Principles for Creating a Culture of Excellence. That's thegogiver.com. Stop on by. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I'm Bob Berg. Make it a great day.